1: This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Human institutions operate under the assumption that they are justified. I was going to say human communities, but let's be honest. We no longer have communities. We have institutions. Thanks to Plato and the U.S. Supreme Court, there is even such a thing as corporate personhood. So, according to American law, institutions are people too. Listening to the biblical writers ridicule cities filled with artificial and lifeless statues, an old version of modern cynicism about cheap plastic products, It's hard not to shudder at the idea of assigning a personality to the gods that men fashion with their own hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will become like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. Thankfully, in Matthew, Jesus has left the building. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 9 to 11. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos,
0: And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
1: And you are listening to episode 424 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Last week, Dr. Benton, when we were talking about Jeremiah, you were reflecting on the impossibility of accepting Jeremiah's preaching that the way to deal with a brutal invasion is to simply acquiesce, abdicate, submit, and accept exile. And your comment was that the teaching of Jeremiah is an impossibility. What I would say, actually, is that it is possible so long as you accept crucifixion, so long as you accept that it ends in your destruction, what is impossible for you is possible for God, our King in the heavens. That is the difficulty of the gospel message. If you are projecting yourself into the gospel message, if you are projecting a version of yourself into your depiction of your God, if you are trying to paint a picture with you in it. If this is about your Western individualism, your platonic ego, your platonic eternal psyche, if that's what this is about, and it's not about your scriptural nephesh, we have a problem because you're always going to twist and turn the story into something that is anti-scriptural and pro-you. But if you can accept that there's an outcome of this story that is not about you, then it's no longer impossible. Then you can submit to what the martyrs proclaim, that the gospel can be preached at your expense, that there is a version of what's possible that comes with your cancellation. That's not a pleasant message. It doesn't fit the Jeffersonian happiness formula, but that is exactly what the gospel is preaching in the crucifixion and the resurrection. That is exactly how the Pharisaic school took on the Roman Empire. That is exactly how the writers of Scripture took on the Greeks. By presenting a body of literature, not that criticized the Greeks or the Romans, but that criticized themselves and canceled themselves and their own identity and their own civilization. So it's not a question of whether it's possible, it's a question of whether or not you're willing to accept your own destruction. Reread Deuteronomy chapter 32, then reread Galatians. Then reread Genesis chapter 6. Then reread Jeremiah chapter 7. And when you're done, come back. We'll give you more to reread.
0: As soon as I started hearing the churches rail against cancel culture, I knew that they had stopped reading scripture because the Roman Empire was no less cancel culture than American culture today. Look what the high priests did, look what Pilate did. When someone is teaching something that they don't like that goes against their own power, they don't just cancel them, they actually kill them. It's not a social media death. It's an actual death. Their heart stops beating. So the one who says in the churches today we have to fight against cancel culture would have to say we have to be fighting against Roman culture. Well, what are you going to do to fight against Roman culture? What are you going to do? You're going to get swords. You're going to get daggers. You're going to go assassinate people. You're going to stop paying taxes. What are you going to do? You're going to go and try to lobby against Pilate and see if he can change some laws or change some regulations. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to fight against cancel culture? You know what Jesus did to fight against cancel culture? He allowed himself to be canceled in the Roman way, not the dumb social media way. He allowed himself to to be eliminated. The Christian who rails against cancel culture is following Baal. They believe in Baal, and they want to convince Baal to be a better Baal. This is not how Scripture works. Jesus allowed himself to be canceled. If you want to do the Christian thing in a cancel culture, get Canceled, And actually, it's really easy in this world. Just go and delete your social media accounts. Seriously. Including YouTube. Including Facebook. I know you want to make comments about how cute penguins are on Facebook. But get out. You have to get out. Because the Christian who rails against cancel culture is ruled by cancel culture they're ruled by social media and that's how I know that social media is your God because you do not follow scripture you are on the wrong path you are not on the path of Jesus Christ Jesus Christ allowed himself to be cancelled in the good old-fashioned Roman way he was crucified
1: the angel said to the women do not be afraid For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. This is, again, this transformation, this correction of their fear. You can't say that fear is negative or positive. You can't say that anything is negative or positive. It's a question of whom you fear. And I don't want to get into the psychology of fear. This isn't about emotions and psychology. This is about respect for which authority. When you hear the word fear in scripture, it's about reference. Who is your reference? Whom do you obey? What do you respect? To whom do you give your awe and your amazement? Until now, it's been misplaced in the story. But Paul, the metaphoric Paul, the angel that rolled back the stone, the angel that set the Torah free so that the gospel could be preached to the nations, the angel that taught the guards to fear the God of Abraham, this angel is now going to teach the church made up of Jews and Gentiles, whom they should fear. And it's going to turn their empty fear of Caesar, their empty fear of the temple, their empty fear of human authorities and principalities, into something that is a proper fear in its proper context, because it's oriented towards the correct authority and the correct reference, which is the scroll of God, his Torah, his gospel. And that fear will be mixed with joy, because you will be set free, as we said last week. You will be a sheep in his flock, In the wilderness which is where the Gospel of Mark begins with the voice crying in the wilderness that is where we begin and that is where we end with the Alpha and the Omega in the wilderness he is the Good Shepherd who is calling his lost sheep out of the city back into the green pasture where there are no towers and no walls and no battlements And no buildings and no institutions, just his voice making a path for us in the wilderness. And that is freedom, and that is the real security and the real liberation from bitter bondage. And that is the good news. As those books we used to have when I was a kid in church, said Richard,
0: (laughs) on the modern translation Bibles, Good news for modern man. Good news for modern man. The good news for the ancient women was o oh, stavromenos, the crucified one. This is the one that you're looking for. You're looking for the crucified one. Now here's what people hear. They hear you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. Right? But they're looking for the crucified one. Jesus. The angel is moving the emphasis. They want to find Jesus. They want to understand what happened. Is there any life still amidst this rubble? What is there left? How can we pay our respects? How can we honor the memory? This is what you do when you go to the tomb, right? You want to honor the memory of your teacher, of your relative. You want to show respect. You want to show honor. And this angel Reminds them that the glory of God the Father is the Oestavromenos, oh, the crucified one. This is still absurd to these women. They don't understand because they're still looking. But now maybe this angel, this herald, this messenger can start to get through to these women who have just been standing afar off looking and watching. Will they begin to listen? This is the tension that is building up here. The soldiers stopped listening. They're dead. Maybe they can do something, but we're never going to know. But these women, maybe there's hope. Maybe they will teach that the one who they sought was the crucified one, not the one who was victorious in spite of being crucified. The one who allowed himself to be canceled and eliminated, and because of his cancellation, because of his elimination, a word can be preached that can give life to the next generation. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said,
1: come see the place where he was lying. This is the sign we have over the smaller entrance to St. Elizabeth. Every time you come in to visit St. Elizabeth, if you come through the front doors, you have the opening verses of Jeremiah chapter 7, do not utter these lying words, this is the temple of the Lord. But on the side entrance, you have another warning, he is not here. (laughs) You're looking in the wrong place. That's how Matthew and Jeremiah are connected through the resurrection. You're looking in the wrong place. That's how Jeremiah and Matthew connect to Ezekiel. The throne of the temple moves. He can go anywhere he wants. That's how Ezekiel connects to the Gospel of John. The spirit blows to and fro upon the earth. You cannot pin it down. Just like that beautiful song about Maria in The Sound of Music. How can you catch a cloud and pin it down? Reread Ezekiel. You keep trying to pin a cloud down inside your box. And the best thing about creation is that you cannot contain it inside a box. You can't contain creation, let alone the one who made the heavens and the earth. So just chill. It doesn't matter how many stars you paint on your dome. You cannot build a mother's womb let alone a womb more spacious than the heavens. So just chill. We must, must submit to this teaching. Lives depend on it now and for the generation yet unborn. The stakes have never been higher for the human race. We cannot presume upon God's mercy because there is a coming judgment. The day may come where he may choose not to leave a remnant in Jerusalem, and then what? So we come to the tomb, and there's hope, because Jesus mercifully has decided to leave the
0: building. I was just looking and I noticed that some of the manuscripts for this verse add, come see the place where the Lord is lying. They add the Lord in there. And that is precisely what I think the problem is with a lot of readers of this text. You should not add the Lord here. Because even the scribes, the copyists, were uncomfortable with the Stavromenos, being in the tomb. They want the Lord there. They don't want Estavromenos there, the crucified one. They don't want the crucified one. And I am just I'm sick and tired of hearing the Orthodox railers against the world and the emptiness of the world and it's complete darkness and emptiness out there there's nothing out there come to the church, join the church be in the church, pray with the church and you will find life there really because guess where the Marys found life they found it in an empty tomb in the Roman Empire outside of Jerusalem that's where they found life and they didn't find life because they found the kyrios there they found life because Estaromenos was there the son of man was dead there so i'm telling you if you're listening to this do not look for the word listen for the word where you see no life precisely where it is empty and listen there because that is where the word is being preached the women, the Marys, they could have gone to the temple. They could have heard the same thing being preached as was preached every week, every day. They could have seen the sacrifices taking place. They could have done all the regular stuff, but there was no word being preached there. We heard that from the priests. They have nothing to teach. They can be obedient to a couple things, but they have nothing to teach. But a herald comes and says, "If you want to find Ostavro Mendes, he's here, but he's gone." This is where life begins. This is where the teaching begins. This is where the Ruach Arunai comes from. If you want to hear the teaching, it's here. So do not rail against cancel culture. Do not rail against the emptiness of the world. Go into the world. Go into cancel culture and listen with your ears for the teaching
1: of this gospel. Do not rail. Instead, as Matthew says, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. This is Matthew in a nutshell. You're so busy trying to lock him up in your box that you don't realize that despite all your best efforts to control him and tell him when it's time for him to act, he's moved the cheese on you and he's already out among the nations. You know, this is my new subtitle for the Gospel of Matthew, Who Moved the Cheese? (laughs) You're busy building your building and Jesus is busy in Galilee. That's Matthew. Do your best. Try to kill him. Try to lock him up. Try to put a fortress around him. Go for it. I have news for you. He's already out there doing his business. Actually, to be very specific,
0: doing his father's business. When Saul couldn't hear the word of the Lord and he found that he lost favor, he had to go to the land of the dead and literally drudge up Samuel's dead body so that his soul could actually speak to him. When the folks in Ezekiel were looking for God in the temple. God had already left and gone to Babylonia on the river Kebar. And that's where he was going to place his sanctuary. And here he has left. He has gone to the edges of Israel, of Judah and Israel, going to the far reaches of the north. And that's where he was going to be, on the edge of the land of Israel to the land of the nations, and that was where he was going to set up. That's where he was going to start teaching. Again, I'm telling you, do not look for the Lord in your dead tomb. Look for Estavromenos out there where you think there is no life, where you think there is no movement, where you think there is nothing, where it's empty. That's where you find Estef Romanos, on the edge of life, on the edge of the empire, on the edge of civilization, on the edge of your thinking beyond your own logic and your own fear of whatever this herald with his lightning is going to do, go there and begin to listen.
1: That's why you can't grow the church. And I really want to encourage all of you, especially those who participate in the parish council in your local community to take notes on this next point. When you talk about your budget, you are going to talk about growing the church because you're talking about building your box. If you're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have to grow anything. The nations were already created by the Lord who made the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1-4. through St. Elizabeth, for example, is situated on St. Paul's west side. The west side was there before I was born, and it'll be there after we're all gone period. There's nothing to grow. There are people living there, and they are our community. We didn't build them. We didn't make them. We didn't create them. And we can love them without taking anything from them. So what are we growing? This is the Roman household of the New Testament. There were people living there. Paul simply ministered to them with the Word, Now, the word is free of charge with a charge. For those who accept it, it's a proposition. But you are giving it free of charge. You're not giving it to them so that they can pay their diocesan dues so that you can build your box. We have to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves because the Lord is coming and he is seated at the right hand of power. And he will separate the wheat from the chaff in the Gospel of Matthew, and he will be exacting in his judgment. And in the Gospel of John, he is a blind judge. As he hears, he judges. Whatever his dad says, whatever is written down, he judges. He has to obey what is written. And he's very specific about what is acceptable and not acceptable. What are we doing? Well, we were growing your church. Where did I ask you to grow the church in my gospel? Where? Show me technically in my words where I asked you to establish a building fund to grow my gospel. Let's go back and hear the gospel that we heard on the Sunday of the Last Judgment. Show me the part about your building fund. Now you'll say, yeah, Father Mark, we all know. And I say, no way, we don't all know. We know what is written. Everything else is nonsense. Let it never be said that you didn't hear it somewhere. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Now, if you're a homeless person, the parable of the judgment in Matthew is a very joyous story. But if you live in a fancy loft in Manhattan, it's not so joyous.
0: Just in case you're wondering, what's so joyous about this week's episode? Yes, and the word for giving the word is apangile, which has the same root as evangelion. It has the news, to give the news. It doesn't have the ev- the good news, it's to give word, to give the news of what happened. So this is where the teaching begins. They went and told the students, the disciples, the Matite, the word. This is the next generation. Will the word continue? Will the word continue to be preached?
1: Thanks very much, Dr. Benton.
0: Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature.
1: Thanks for listening.